Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Signor Lucentio. This is the pointed day that Catherine and Petruchio should be married, and yet we hear not of our son-in-law. What will be said? What mockery will it be to want the bridegroom when the priest attends to speak the ceremonial rites of marriage? What says Lucentio to this shame of ours? No shame but mine. I must forsooth be forced to give my hand opposed against my heart. Unto a mad brain Rootsby, full of spleen, who wooed in haste and means to wed at leisure. I told you, I. He was a frantic fool, hiding his bitter jests and blunt behavior, and, to be noted for a merry man, he'll woo a thousand, point the day of marriage, make friends, invite, and proclaim the bands, yet never means to wed where he hath wooed. Hello and welcome to The Plays the Thing. That was from Act 3 of William Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. We are so glad that you joined us again for Act 3. My name is Tim McIntosh. I'm Nora Ankrum. And I'm Matt Bianco. And we've reached the turning point in The Taming of the Shrew. I, I'm going to lead in with like a little preface. I you two kind of came on the show and during the first act, you kind of stated your kind of thesis about the promise and difficulty of this play. And I'll be totally honest during the first two acts, I feel like the material of the play kind of lent itself toward Matt's interpretation. Like, Hey, this is, (laughs) Matt just threw his hands up in the air. This is, um, Actually, Shakespeare in his day, late 1500s, kind of rebuking these antiquated notions of what marriage looked like, um, the role of women in marriage. And I was like, yeah, Matt's making a really good case. He's kind of doing a deep dive. There are some historical factors we need to look at. Nora's case, to make it short, is like, okay, sure, there are some historical things that might kind of like take the edge off. But 
I think nor it was the last ap- episode you said, but there's still two scenes coming up that are going to be really hard to justify. And I feel like, tell me if you agree, Nora, we got one of those scenes at the end of this act. We definitely do. This is, this is my comeback. I, yeah. <laughs> it, before you, before we you know, logged on, I had a second with Matt and I was like, Matt, I kind of feel like, you know, like I was kind of leaning your direction and now I just don't know what you're going to do with the conclusion of act three. Cause it's just tough. So we'll hear that a little bit later on, but I want to first kind of talk about like what happens in this act. So at the conclusion of act two, there's this, there's this meeting between our two main characters, Petruchio and Kate. And there's kind of a, it's kind of a showdown romance scene. It's a great scene. And they clearly, by the end of the scene, after all of their sparring and verbal jousting, are interested in each other. And then Petruchio steps forward into the court, announces to everybody, great news, we are going to get married. It's going to happen on Sunday. And so in this act, we experience that we see the, well, we don't even really see the marriage. It happens off stage, but we know that the marriage occurs. Um, and Petruchio has gotten what he wanted, which is a wife. And it seems like, like a dowry that goes with it. I am having a harder time figuring out if Kate has actually gotten what she wants, because I think at the conclusion of act two, there's the germ that could grow into real romance for Kate. Um, but I'm not quite sure where she is at the beginning of this act. So the first time we kind of hear a report about her, we hear that she is crying and that Petruchio is late. I don't understand really why either one of those things are happening. I can speculate, but let's start with Kate. If she's lukewarm about getting married to Petruchio, you guys, why is she crying? I'd love to hear from both of you. Well, I think it's evidence that she, uh, that she was looking forward to it. And maybe Mm -hmm. the first, um, maybe the first blatant evidence, because before it says she exits weeping, she has a little, a little monologue about her own shame um, and about her embarrassment. It looks like to me. Um, At Petruchio not showing up. mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. And maybe at, uh, you know, her own vulnerability in uh, maybe wanting him to show up, like actually being there, being happy. And then she's made the fool. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I think that's a pretty good evidence that she did want to marry him. Yeah. You agree, Matt? I do. I mean, I think so. I mean, it fits my narrative, I suppose, but I think so because I, I want to believe that she, that his wooing is working and that mm. she does want to marry him and that she's beginning to love him. And the fact that she's weeping there and that she wishes she had never even seen him, um, you know, that sort of stuff, I think, I think could, could definitely be interpreted that way, which I like. Um, but, it, but it could just be simply like, I didn't even want to marry this guy. I still don't want to marry this guy. I'm not going to want to marry this guy. And yet I just got, shamed and embarrassed in front of my entire community mm. and, and, and have nothing to do with any feelings that she has or any willingness to marry him and, and true. everything yeah. to do with the fact that she just got humiliated. Yeah. Um, it could be that 
I, I mean, I still, I lean towards what you said, Nora, <laughs> but I mean, I think just to be fair to, to, to her, one possibility, one possible explanation for her, it could be that. So I don't know. Yeah. The harder question for me is why does Petruchio show up so late? So in, in my rendering about the end of act two, Petruchio is interested in her. He's genuinely interested in her. He has this other motive of like, he's, he, he wants to be wealthy. He wants some of his father-in-law's money, but it seems like by the beginning of act three, he's genuinely interested in her. So number one, and I'm going to ask you this first, Matt, why does he show up so late? Number two, why is he wearing old clothes? And I think maybe number three, we get a report from Grimio that during the wedding, he's just acting like a clown during the wedding ceremony. So explain this to me. If he genuinely is beginning to care about this woman, why is he going to like put three obstacles in front of them by showing up late, you know, looking like a clown and acting like a clown in the ceremony? Can you just remind me who gives the report? Grumio or Gremio? I think it's Grumio. Is it Grumio? Yeah. And it, is Grumio his servant or is Grumio's? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I, I mean, I don't, I don't particularly like Grumio. I mean, I think he's humorous <laughs> or whatever, but I don't think of him as a trustworthy, um, as a trust, trustworthy reporter. But that's besides the point, right? I mean, we just we have the information we have, and we just go with it. Um, Matt, can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Did you guys get other moments in Grimio's speech where he is a little bit dyslexic? The oats have eaten the horses. Do you remember that line? Oh yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. We're ready to go. The oats have eaten the horses. And I thought, oh, is is that a little bit of like intentional dyslexia? You know, Shakespeare's kind of like having some wordplay fun with it. But I don't remember any other occasions like that where Grimio deliberately kind of like flip flops the order of things. Did you guys remember anything else like that from Grimio's mouth? The, the one thing that's the closest is that opening scene where Petruchio asks him to rap on the gate or rap me at the gate or something like that. And then he thinks, he thinks Petruchio is asking him to hit Petruchio. Not the oh, gate. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Even right. About what the object of the verb is there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, Matt. So you were saying yeah. Grimio okay. gives this report about the wedding. Yeah. So, but I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to base my response on that. I, I don't know. Um, here. Okay. This, I, I agree with what you said at the opening, Tim. Um, and I confess now to you, Nora, that <laughs> this act is, this act is the hardest for me, for my, for my hermeneutical grid or whatever you want to call it. This act is the hardest. I think this act is actually more difficult than the ones that are coming later. Really? Really? Okay. Um, All right. So in this one, I have to be, I have to be either a little bit more dismissive of it, or I have to be a, a little more gumby, a little more stretchy, a little more hoop jumpy, <laughs> um, something like that. Right. But here's, okay. I'm going to put all of my eggs in this basket. Oh boy. Tranio as Lucentio says, he hath some meaning in his mad attire. <laughs> Now, I, when I read it, I thought that's that's what he's going to do. <laughs> Ma- 
Yeah. Like Matt's going to, did you yes. think Nora, yes. Matt's going to yes. seize on this? That is exactly <laughs> what I, I thought. Right. Right. Exactly I'm going to take this basket. Like, oh, oh, there's some meaning here. It's it's there somewhere. And Matt's going to tell us exactly what that meaning is. <laughs> what it is, I, that's where it's a little bit slippery for me, but I have some theories. Okay. I'm going to throw this out there. First, why is he late? Absence make the heart, doth make the heart grow fonder. Oh. I think that he needs her. He if, if he just shows up, then she never has a chance to think about what would happen if he didn't, right? But when he doesn't show up on time, now she has this space to literally temporal space to um to realize how much she wanted him there. And then and then that's part of that's the beginning of cultivating that seed that has been plant that was planted in the previous act right so i think that's i think that might be something the meaning in the in in not in the mat attire but in the lateness um is that right is is helping to give her that that space to to contemplate that and to feel that um the mad attire and the mad behavior at the wedding is a little bit i think a little bit more difficult but I'm wondering if it is something like, like if he just shows up and he's, and he's, um, all G'd up and like wearing the right clothes and on time and perfect behavior and the, just the perfect, like aristocratic gentleman. Yep. Then I think it would become more difficult for her, for him and for the people around them to see the love as genuine rather than just as, a, a match like a uh uh an arranged match right whereas if she can come to love him in spite of this i mean with this happening in in their in their relationship then the love that the love that the fruit the, the love that is the fruit of all of this would be love for him as him right not not because of 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 all that other stuff, not because he dresses nice, not because he's rich, not because he's t- on time, not because he's the perfect aristocratic gentleman, but because he's her husband. I, but I don't know. I mean, that, that's yeah. just that's my that's me gum, being Gumby and right. jumping through through some hoops, right? I, I don't know. I mean, there's some meaning if 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 Tranio is right, there's some meaning in his behavior. This is a possible pot- right. A possible explanation. After, after they leave, um, Lucenzio asks uh, Bianca what she thinks about what's happened. And uh, Bianca says that being mad herself, she's madly mated. And then Gremio says, I warrant him, Petruchio is cated. So I wonder mm. if that, I mean, that does serve your point a little bit. But it also, it also kind of uh, serves the the holding up the mirror to her, right? Like... I guess that that wasn't exactly what you were just saying. Uh, but, but, but before, because, yeah, when you had said, um, you know, he's he's showing her what she's like, right? And I wonder if that line is sort of lending to that Petruchio is cated. Yeah. I watched the movie, The Thomas Crown Affair, recently. Have you guys ever seen The Thomas Crown Affair? There's two versions. One, I think in the 60s, was with Steve McQueen, um, the name of the lead actress escapes me. Famous, great actress. 
Um, there's a Pierce Brosnan version that was done in 99 and it's the story. Pierce Brosnan is this kind of like really like wealthy, well-dressed, super accomplished, functionally art thief. And Rene Rousseau is sent by the insurance company to discover who has stolen this famous Monet poem. And it's a really compelling movie because they fall in love and it's, but it's this game of cat and mouse because he wants to get away with the stealing of the Monet and she wants, and she knows that he's done it and she wants to catch him. But you know, like the romantic complications are there. And part of the reason the movie is so compelling is they're constantly kind of testing each other because who's going to break first if he breaks first and is like, yeah, I stole the Monet and she's just doing this to catch him. Well then he, and, and she's not in it for any romantic reasons, then he's caught and vice versa. If she breaks first is like, I'll help you get away with it. Then he, um, and he does get away with it and breaks her heart. Well then, you know, she's been betrayed. So it's this game, like who's going to blink first, you know, who's going to actually follow through. And so they're constantly in this state of testing each other, testing each other. Who, you know, can I really trust you? Are you really the kind of person that you say you are, you know, when we're like embracing in the streets of Paris or whatever it is. And it seems like that's exactly where we are right now with the taming of the shrew or it, it I shouldn't say that so quickly. That's where I want us to be with the taming of the shrew. I want this to be an act of testing each other, but it could as easily be, and I think maybe Nora, maybe this is where you are with the play. It could just as easily be, no, it's this kind of, um, it's an all out power play. It's a power play. Petruchio wants what he wants. Kate wants what she wants. And she's kind of in the like inferior power position socially, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But she wants what she wants. And they're not about getting married. They're about like kind of like satisfying these other agendas that each of them have. And I, I think because we live in 2021. I want it to be a game of cat and mouse with these two characters of agency instead of we're living in 1598 when this play was written with one character of agency, Petruchio, and one character who's being, quote, tamed. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I yeah, I want it to be the cat and mouse too. Um, yeah. and, I, and I did see that in the last act for sure. Um, but the problem is I don't, you know, I see... I see Petruchio putting on the face and saying, you know, I'm not going to blink first, but I don't see Kate doing that. I see her oh. being, you know, super vulnerable and um, I mean, angry, sure. But, uh, but in all other ways, just, you know, really kind of heartbroken and, and mm -hmm. honest about it. And, um, you know, I, even if it is just a social embarrassment, I mean, I'm embarrassed for her, right? Yeah, <laughs> like she's yeah. stood up on her wedding day and then her husband shows up looking like a clown and acting like a clown. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a tough one, but I, I do want it to be, I'd like it to be the cat and mouse. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I think, um, 
yeah, if it's a power play, then it's then it's him. Just the, that's the easy way to read it, I think, and probably an obvious way to read it from our perspective here is is that he's um, teaching her a lesson. He's taming her. Um, but I, I was kind of trying to Gumby a little bit, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was gonna say maybe he's drunk. Maybe he's. And I he's mean, drinking during legit- the ceremony, Nora. He's definitely drinking during the ceremony, right? for sure. Yeah. So yeah, showing up drunk is not beyond. No, we we'll do that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> but Nora, to your point, like the possibility that he showed up, even though the text doesn't say he showed up drunk, the fact that he's drinking during the wedding is like, that's completely plausible that he would show up a little bit tipsy. Yeah, and, and we're not talking about the after party because he doesn't even stay for that. We're, we're right. talking about showing up initially that way and into okay so what i thought was that to, to kind of give this guy the best the best version i can give him was maybe um maybe he does really love her right the the interaction in act two is genuine between the two of them and and, and i do I, I i can see that yeah um but then i think he has this reputation and he has this um this face to keep right for his buddies, for his friends, this whole, um, to wive and thrive thing that he's put out there. And he has to, um, he kind of has to cover up that genuine affection for her or that genuine love for her that, that he sees as growing. And, and maybe he acts a fool to kind of do that. And, and I, I could see it being played that way by an actor, um, kind of strutting and, and being silly and looking at his, you know, winking at his friends and saying, see, you see, I'm in charge here. This is, this is my power play, but then mm. could you redeem it, you know, as an actor by having moments throughout the act of, of genuineness of sincerity. And I even, even in that terrible speech at the end, you know, my goods, my property. Um, I wonder if part of that could be played sincerely and, but in, in that case, it makes him um, just as much in need of taming as her. Yeah. You know? Right, right. I can imagine, we're going to listen to that speech in a second, and I can imagine both things that you just conveyed. Like the actor saying these words, she's my goods, my chattels, my house, my household stuff, my field, my barn, my horse, my ox, my ass, my anything winking the whole time at his buddies. Like I'm the big man here. I just got married. I, and now I've like added to my household goods. It's called a wife, you know, and him having real fun with that. Or I can imagine, okay. I'm proposing like on the fly, like directorial ideas. I could also imagine him being absolutely sincere about that as a way of kind of cloaking the insecurity of going into this wedding with someone he might actually be a little bit crazy about, you know, you know what I mean? Is yeah. it, you know what I'm saying, Nora? I do. I, yeah, I can, I can see it like that too. And I think that's all in uh, the direction and the acting, right? Because in the text, it, it, it seems pretty bad, but right. I, I think you can take it that way. Or what if, you know, what if halfway through that speech, he changes, what if he starts off winking at his friends and then he realizes that he's being he's being very sincere. Like he honestly does mean that she's she's his anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, before we get too much farther, let's actually listen to the audio. This is going to be Richard Burton 
after the wedding, he's about to leave, you know, in the middle of the wedding feast, the, in the middle of the reception. Father Baptista has gone to him and said, you can't leave now. And he's like, yeah, sorry, I'm out. I got to go. I got business to take care of. I got errands to run. And then Kate comes <laughs> to him and she says, you can't leave. And he's like, sorry, baby, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Um, but then he pivots and says, and guess what? You're coming with me, Kate. You're going to come with me. The question I'm going to have for both of you is, how does Kate exit? Because she exit with him, exits with him and Grimio. Let's listen to the audio, and I'm going to ask you guys when we get back, what is the mode of her exit? Okay, let's listen to that audio. Obey the bride, you that attend on her. Go to the feast, revel and domineer, carouse full measure to a maidenhead. Be mad and merry or go hang yourselves. But for my bonny Kate, she must with me. <laughs> Nay, look not big, nor stamp, nor stare, nor fret. I will be master of what is mine own. She is my goods, my chattels. She is my house, my household stuff, my field, my barn, my horse, my ox, my ass, my anything. And here she stands, touch her whoever dares. I'll bring mine action on the proudest he that stops my way in Padua. Grumio, draw forth thy weapon, whoever set with thieves. Rescue thy mistress if thou fearest a man. Fear not, sweet wench, they shall not touch thee, Kate. Fear not, sweet wench, they shall not touch thee, Kate. The stage directions after this, you know, very uncomfortable monologue say, Exeunt Petruchio, Grumio, and Catherine. There's no reply from Catherine. It's just an exit. So my question, and Matt, I'd like to hear from you on this first. How does Kate exit? Does she just walk obediently out? Does she, is she taken by the wrist and kind of pulled out? Like, how does she exit? Physically or emotionally? I, I want to know physically. Um, okay. So I think that if I connect back to something that you guys were talking about at the end of the previous segment, um, that this idea that Petruchio is saying she's my chattel, she's my ass, she's my whatever. I only remember the bad word. Um, <laughs> and then, and then on the one hand, he's saying it so that the guy, the guy friends can hear it as like they can hear those words and interpret them as, yeah, Petruchio won, you know, or you know, he's in charge. But Petruchio saying it so that she can hear it. Or, and, and then she's hearing it as potentially hearing it as, and he means it as, um, oh, wow. I'm everything to him. I'm as everything. I'm as anything. Right. I mean, I, I am all that he want needs wants. Um, in that same sense, I think this speech begins with him putting forth a tone of I'm in charge here. She's going to do what I say you're all going to do what I say. And that means we're leaving. But, but to her, what he's saying is like, she says, gentlemen forward to the bridal dinner. I see a woman may be made a fool if she had not a spirit to resist. But then he says, Oh, they shall go forward. They'll do everything that you say. They will fulfill your commands. Right. Um, and then he tells them, obey the bride, attend on her. 
but we're going right. And there's, there's a way in, in which he's, I mean, there's some sense in which he's saying we have to go and yet you're still ruling here. You're still, in you're, charge. you're my queen. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then he, he continues and then, but then turns it into, into, if they try to stop you, I will protect you. I will save you from them. Right. Where, where, as if she wants to go with him and the people there are going to say she can't because she's the bride and we have to have this party for her. Um, but really it's, it's almost like they're bad guys who are going to take her, her away from him, but he's the sweet prince who's coming along and he's rescuing her from him, from them. When he says, um, we are beset with thieves. Rescue thy mistress if thou be a man. Fear not, sweet wench. They shall not touch thee, Kate. I'll buckler thee against a million. And he's committing to her this, this. Um, I mean, he's making a commitment to her that he will be her protector, her provider, her comforter, whatever, all that stuff, right? And I wonder if in that moment, she's converted by that. Like it's the con- mm. conversion is furthered, at least. Not completed, but furthered. And- um, and in her love for him in that, in that, as she's leaving the stage right then, she's thinking, I don't want to go because this party is for me, for us, for this, but I want to go because I want the man who's going to be that for me. My father never was, mm. right? My father was trying to prostitute me, but this guy is a buckle. It will buckler, be a buckler for me. Right. And she wants to go with that guy. What that looks like physically. I don't know. So I can't answer the physical question. I mean, maybe it's like there's a hesitancy, but but then like a, a, a sheepish, not sheepish, but a, like a cold yeah. smile or yeah. something, right? The wink, I don't know. I, I want to say, Matt, th- that explains this question that I have about that closing monologue from Petruchio. Um, and here she stands, touch her, whoever dare. Okay, I'll back up. She's my goods, my chattels, she's my house, my household stuff, my field, my barn, my horse, my ox, my ass, my anything. It's like, oh man, it's really hard to hear that. And then there's this yeah. pivot. And here she stands, touch her, whoever dare. And it, it, I'll bring my action on the proudest. Uh, he that stops my way in Padua. Grimio, draw thy... Draw forth thy weapon, we are beset with thieves. Rescue thy mistress, and if thou be a man, fear not, sweet wench, they shall not touch thee, Kate. I'm a, I'll buckler thee against a million. So he goes from, I'm taking my household goods, to, Kate, I will defend you. And I don't, th- I-, I wonder, what happens during that switch? Like something seems to happen on stage, Right? that causes him to say, I'm going to defend you. And I think it'd be kind of easy to just ride over that switch. But I I don't know. It seems like something has happened. Nor did you think something happened in that little pivot? Yeah, I I wonder. I I would love to see an actor uh, pivot himself in that. I'd love to see his motivation suddenly change. I. I would like to see starting off the speech with strutting with, with performing for his friends and then switching at that point. Um, Like he's, he's devolved into she's my good. She's my child. She's my house, my household stuff, my field, my barn, my horse, my ox, my ass, my anything. And then he catches himself Mm. and he's like, Oh, hang on, hang on. I'm I'm showing a little too much here. (laughs) Right. And then he has to pivot and he has like, no, 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 I'm, you know, 
I'm still in charge here. I'm still big, strong guy. And I'm <laughs> the way that I see her exit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to hear I this. See, uh, I see uh, her exiting over Grumio's shoulder. I see him picking her up bodily and flinging her over his shoulder and almost like, almost like acting like a pirate, like <laughs> swashbuckling <laughs> with his weapon uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, fighting off whoever is not actually fighting them. Uh, but no, yeah, I don't, I don't see her going willingly. willingly. Um, but, but I do think, um, I think maybe before Grumio, you know, picks her up. Um <laughs> uh, maybe there is that that tug of war. I could see that because I think she's encouraging people to go to this feast, but who are these people? I mean, she doesn't even like friends them. of her dad's. Right? right? Like nobody yeah. likes her in this right. place. So right. why would she want to go to this party with these people? And I mean, look how quickly right afterwards her dad's like, "Oh, that's too bad. Well, Bianca, you can sit there. We can yeah. have a party for you." You know? Yeah, right at the end of the act. He just swaps Kate out for Bianca on yeah. Kate's wedding day. So I could definitely see that she's like, I mean, we should probably stay for the party, right? I don't yeah. really want to. I don't want to. Right. Yeah. And then I, I can see, you know, that tug of war happening. And then maybe that is the impetus for Petruchio to get a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more honest about his feelings. And and maybe the switch is a, is a comedic one where he catches himself and he's like, oh. Can't show anybody that. Right. Is yeah. it, you know, is it possible on from a stage perspective that as he's giving that speech, especially right around the lines where he's where he's listing his property, her as his property, that that some of the men who are there start encroaching upon her to oh, forcefully keep her at the feast. Oh. And then he says. You know, then he says, I'll bring my action. I'm the proudest he that stops me, stops my way in Padua. Like he starts seeing some of the men come forward. And then he, then he turns into the, the the, the defender because there's a need for it. Could you, what would, what would it do to the scene if that, if it What do you think, Nora? Sure. That's, no, that's interesting. Um, Yeah. Cause maybe, maybe like you said before, they are, uh. They're hearing it the way that, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, that's that's good, man. And and, and they're closing in and maybe they think like and now we're really going to have a good time with her. Now we're really going to make fun of her. This he's mm. opening up the door and and he's put up he's put her on the, you know, in the stocks and we're going to have a great time now. Um, and, and maybe the turn is uh, no, no, no. You, you, you misheard me. You misread me. Yeah. Um, we're getting out of here. Uh, and it. If he does that, if he does that accidentally, I mean, if it like it just happens out, that falls out that way, that's one thing, right? But if he, if he says that intentionally to provoke that reaction, mm. I wonder if he's he's f- exposing who they really are to the, each other, uh. but also to her, and that he like they like as I mean, you are like you already said, Nora, right? She. She already knows that she doesn't like these people and she already knows that they don't like her like right. her entire life. Right. Or at least as far as we know. Um, but then there's still this part of her that's like, but I want to celebrate with them. And then and then he does he in in the giving of this speech, does he reveal further that like he exposes them? He exposes them as look, like you said, like like you were saying or that if if they're kind of approaching her to like, yeah, now let, now we can have some real fun with her and we've got right. support. Right. And then he's. 
And then he shows like, that's how they want to treat you. And I'm not going to allow it. And it Mm. exposes them and it reveals his true, his truer feelings or his inner feelings that way. I don't don't know. It seems like if it was that intentional, there might be a little bit more stage direction or something in there, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, We're giving Petruchio a lot of credit there. Yeah, that's right. 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 (laughs) Which is in keeping with the theme that we've set for this podcast. So it probably works. I just want to say before we go, the idea of Kate's exit being over Grumio's shoulder, like I thought, okay, it'd be really, it could be really powerful if Petruchio puts her over his shoulder, but I like what you suggested more. She exits over Grumio's shoulder. It's like the servant taking care, like the servant, like taking the luggage out. It's like, I feel a little gross saying that. You know what I mean? It's it's more (laughs) jarring. It's more jarring if Petruchio doesn't do it, if he commissions his servant to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, like it's not an act of of love. It's an act of property. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) I say, I love it. While at the same time, we're like, we're both wincing as we are (laughs) recommending that, that actress. But but to to that point though, right. Like I, you said that when we, when you were describing that, Nora, you said that you would, I, I think that you, you, you saw her as leaving unwillingly. Over, uh, his, like, yeah. over his shoulder because that was the only way to get her to go, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, I could definitely see the struggle beforehand, but then the actual leaving, yeah, unwillingly. Because, I, I, I mean, I, th- th- this, this perhaps is not reflective of the woman's view of romance um, and more reflective of the man's view of romance and and the fact that so many movies and stories were written this way for so long, like the, the movie that I talked about in the first episode with um, John Wayne, it's, it's the, yeah. the quiet man. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and there's very much this sense of like, like the woman secretly wants to be overpowered. Um, mm-hmm. And, and then in being overpowered outwardly fights it and, doesn't want it, but inwardly is like, yes, you know. No, um, no, I, please don't. Yeah. Right, right. And I, and I, I, I know I, I'm conceding clearly, I hope, that I'm not saying that the movies that portray things that way are accurately reflecting what women really want. Like, right. the woman says no, she probably means no. I mean, I don't even know why <laughs> I said probably there, right? She says no, she means no. Um, but, but from the man's perspective, that's how we, I don't know why I have to say we there, but we men have perceived it for, for a very, very long time. So um, that being this play, perhaps being written in a time when it was perceived that way, then there's the, the audience might see it as the outward, the outward expression of no, but the inward. Yes. Mm. Cause isn't there a scene in the quiet man where John Wayne, I, I only know this through the lens of E.T., the Steven Spielberg movie. Isn't that the quiet man? Like E.T., the extraterrestrial, is home watching a movie. I think it's the quiet man. Is it really? I think so. Yeah. And John Wayne steps into this house in the middle of the storm and his love interest is there. And she, I don't know if she's fleeing him 
or she's just walking away and everything is windswept. It's like a hurricane has descended over the prairie in some way. And he grabs her by the wrist as she's leaving. And then he pulls her back and she kind of spins into his arm and he just like kisses her with all sorts of masculine passion, which is exactly (laughs) what you're saying, Matt. It's like this sort of thing. Like she's like, I want to escape. But what I really want is to be loved by a man who won't take no for an answer. You know, it's like it's playing this sort of like a trope that oh, now man. has become like intolerable to us. But there is a way in which you could read this play very much through the eyes of like the quiet man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, like, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with playing it like that, especially because I think it it serves my point <laughs> that Petruchio is just as much, you know. Just as much in in need of reform. Yeah. And and not that, you know, I think his motivations could be shown as good. Right. Yeah. I think so. But um, yeah, but I I still think he's kind of a mess in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to to that point about the quiet man, the kiss and the quiet man. I mean, it does get described that way here. Right. And kiss. Oh, my gosh. With (laughs) such a clamorous smack that at the party, all the church church. did echo. (laughs) That's such a great line. It's such a great line. Yeah, right, right, right. It's such a great line. Okay, so um, looking forward to act four and act five. Let's, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to is, do, is Shakespeare asserting that Petruchio needs reform as much as Kate? Like, maybe if I can try to articulate what I think the stakes are for Kate, um, she's just, and she's just unpleasant and we can account for the reason she's been really mistreated by her dad, but she's just. And Bianca. And Bianca. And And the other suitors. um, Right. She's just been mistreated. And so she's maybe in need of reform, like soften. Kate could soften. And, but I think the big question on the table about Shakespeare's intention is, is Petruchio likewise in need of reform? Like, has he kind of like taken on like kind of like some social views that he's enacting, you know, that he needs to be reformed of? That's, I think, the big question for me going forward in Acts 4 and 5. Do you guys have things that you're, that you're looking forward to in the last two acts of the play? Um, I'm looking forward to Matt talking about Act 4. <laughs> Nora's like, I got you next <laughs> act. I got you the easiest. Act. act 4 is the easiest one for me, too. <laughs> oh, I'm dying okay. to hear this. Okay, this is great. All right. All I'm right. looking forward to the kiss in the streets. That's my favorite scene. I love it. Nora, what are you looking forward to? You're like, I'm looking forward to roasting Matt in our next episode. I don't have to do it. Shakespeare does. Nicely done. Nice. <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I, I really do want this to be a reform of both of them. I want them to have found each other and uh, have met their match and to realize that they both have changing to do um, and to do it together. Um, I think it's more clearly done with Kate and I like the idea of finding a way to do it with Petruchio as well. Before we go, Nora, if I'm not mken, your theater opened a play last week, and you were the uh, producer we, of it. We're opening tonight, actually. You're opening tonight. Okay. Tonight, how are you feeling? Yeah. How are you good. feeling? Good. Yeah. We're feeling good. Yeah. Um, how are ticket sales? 
they're they're pretty good so far. Um, we expect a lot more. We've had a lot more uh, just reservations than actual sales so yeah. far. But uh, yeah, people are a little bit nervous. I think about uh, the state of the world. Yeah, right now. Like so we're hoping stuff. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty high in our area. Yeah. So we're hoping that uh, we can put some precautions in place and make people feel safe and comfortable. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, I hope it goes great. Thank you. Uh, I'm looking forward to act four. I want to remind everybody, if you want to participate in the conversation, please join the Close Reads Facebook page. We have, we'll have a Q&A episode at the end of these five episodes in which we would love to hear from you and, um, yeah, dive deeper into this already thorny play. We want to thank you again for joining us for Act 3. We will be releasing Act 4 in one week. And we appreciate your support. And as always, we wish you happy reading. You guys, you make my job so easy. Like, seriously, <laughs> this is so much fun. Thank, I really appreciate I know I said it last week, but I'm just like, oh, this is just so fun and easy. So I really appreciate it. If there are plays that you guys are really excited about in the canon, let me know so I can start planning in that direction. Does that sound fair? Well, clearly I'm at my best when I'm defending misogyny. So why are we not like, recording right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, we are. We are. <laughs> We yes. are. And Logan, we're out. <laughs>